Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to episode 26 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. This week, we're going to review exactly what happens when corners are cut and citizens are faced with the consequences. We're going to discuss the Flint water crisis, something that I never thought I'd have to cover, especially in a developed nation like the United States. The city of Flint, Michigan can trace its earliest beginnings to 1819 when Jacob Smith founded a trading post along the Flint River. The town of Flint would quickly grow into a bustling stopover point for those traveling between Detroit and Saginaw, Michigan. By 1860, the town of Flint had a population of nearly 23,000. In the latter portions of the 1800s, Flint would become a central destination for the lumber trade, naturally becoming a major supplier for horse-drawn carriages. Naturally, as the auto industry began to grow and flourish, several automakers would call Flint home. For the last century, Flint's history has been dominated by both the auto industry and car culture. During the sit-down strike of 1936 to 1937, the fledgling United Automobile Workers triumphed over General Motors, inaugurating the era of labor unions. The successful mediation of the strike by Governor Frank Murphy, culminating in a one-page agreement recognizing the union, began an era of successful organizing by the UAW. The city was a major contributor of tanks and other war machines during World War II due to its extensive manufacturing facilities. For decades, Flint remained politically significant as a major population center as well for its importance to the automotive industry. However, in the recent decades, Flint has continued to suffer from a host of societal issues that have led to the significant decline in population that we see to this very day. Since the late 1960s through the end of the 20th century, Flint has suffered from disinvestment, deindustrialization, depopulation, and urban decay, as well as high rates of crime, unemployment, and poverty. Initially, this took the form of white flight that afflicted many urban, industrialized American towns and cities. Given Flint's role in the automotive industry, this decline was exacerbated by the 1973 oil crisis, with spiking oil prices and the U.S. auto industry's subsequent loss of market share to imports, as Japanese manufacturers were producing cars with better fuel economy. It's evident that with the continued decrease in population, the city would face even harder decisions when it came to dealing with the aging infrastructure that the city of Flint faces to this very day. Flint has suffered from poor city management, which would ultimately lead to the first financial emergency between 2002 to 2004. When the audit began, officials identified that Flint had accrued over $30 million in debt. This discovery would ultimately lead to the recall of then-sitting Mayor Woodrow Stanley. Following this recall election, Governor John Engler declared a financial emergency in the city, appointing Ed Kurtz as the emergency financial manager. Voters elected Mayor James Rutherford to complete the remainder of Stanley's time in office. In August 2002, city voters elected former Mayor James Rutherford to finish the remainder of Stanley's term in office. On September 24th, Kurtz commissioned a salary and wage study for top city officials from an outside accounting and consulting firm. 
The financial manager then installed a new code enforcement program for annual rental inspections and emergency demolitions. On October 8th, Kurtz ordered cuts in pay for the mayor from $107,000 to $24,000 and the city council members from $23,000 to $18,000. He also eliminated insurance benefits for most officials. After spending $245,000 fighting the takeover, the city council ended the lawsuits on October 14th. Immediately thereafter, on October 16th, a new interim financial plan was put in place by the manager. The plan initiated controls on hiring, overnight travel, and spending by city employees. On November 12th, Kurtz directed the city's retirement board to stop unusual pension benefits, which had decreased some retiree pensions by 3.5%. Kurtz sought the return of overpayments to the pension fund. However, in December, the state attorney general stated that emergency financial managers do not have the authority over the retirement system. With contract talks stalled, Kurtz stated that there either need to be cuts or layoffs to union employees. That same month, the city's recreation centers were temporarily closed. As 2005 began, Ed Kurtz signaled that the financial emergency was over and raised both the mayor's and city council's pay once again. Once again, yet another financial emergency was declared and would extend between 2011 and 2015. On November 8th, Mayor Dane Walling defeated challenger Daryl Buchanan 8,819 votes to 6,868 votes. That same day, the Michigan State Review Panel declared Flint to be in a state of local financial emergency, recommending the state again appoint an emergency manager. Additionally, during this period is when we reached the topic of discussion today, the Flint water crisis. Now, I'm sure most of you are aware of the Flint water crisis and the pure negligence that took place well ahead of this crisis. The city of Flint decided to transition its water supply from the Detroit water system which had been using water from Lake Huron to now using water from the Flint River. However, apparently those who decided to switch were unaware of just how corrosive the water from the Flint River had been, which would lead to lead exposure in the citizens of Flint, an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease, and exposure to coliform bacteria, and trihalomethanes. The beginning of this crisis is believed to have started on April 25, 2014, following a construction delay. Almost immediately after the switch to the new water system, residents began complaining about the smell, taste, and look of the water. In April 2014, to save about $5 million in two years, Flint started treating water from the Flint River instead of purchasing Lake Huron water from Detroit. Previously, the Flint River was used as a backup water source. In June 2014, Flint's emergency manager, Darnell Early, finalized the sale of a nine-mile section of water pipeline to Genesee County for $3.9 million. This pipeline fed DWSD water into the county, and after the KWA pipeline was active, would service the eastern part of the county as well. By December 2014, the city had invested $4 million into its water plant. On July 1, 2014, Early gave operational authority to Mayor Dane Walling over two city departments, including Public Works. It was later reported that by not adding a corrosion inhibitor, Flint was going to save about $140 per day. Following complaints by hundreds of citizens nearly five months later, the city government would finally issue its first boil advisory, which would last six days, only for another boil advisory to be implemented that same September. Here's where we begin to see the negligence of city officials and a concern for securing the bottom line rather than securing a human right and ensuring the safety and health of all. In late 2014, concerned with increased levels of E. coli and other bacteria in the water, officials flushed the pipes and added even more chlorine to hopefully kill any remaining bacteria in the water. General Motors also during this time begins reporting that the new water Flint has begun pumping is leading to excessive corrosion on their engine parts, forcing the plant to purchase water from a nearby town. In addition to the corrosion wearing down engine parts at GM's plant, an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease also initiates at the same time. This outbreak would not be announced until 2016. 
For nearly five months, residents resumed drinking the tap water only to learn later from city officials that due to the increased rates of chlorine that were pumped into the pipes have now exposed those who consumed the water to dangerous byproducts that could lead to cancer and other health issues. By this point, the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality had already offered to reconnect Flint to the Lake Huron source and waive associated fee, only to be met with a declination by city council due to a concern for future higher costs. I ultimately believe at this point, the city council members knew exactly what was happening and had begun their attempt to quell fears and cover up the true extent of what was occurring throughout the city. At one of the city council meetings, residents brought in discolored tap water straight from their homes. The National Women's Law Center said it perfectly. It's a devastating irony that in the Great Lakes state, surrounded by fresh water, the people of Flint, Michigan can't turn on the tap. With each new story of the Flint water crisis, the poisoning of thousands of people through the city's water supply in the name of cost savings comes as an added dimension of complexity, tragedy, and outrage. You'll hear this many times throughout the episode, from the highest levels of the Flint government, that there was nothing to worry about and that the water was safe following the initial flush. However, that isn't the case. Over the course of five years, the residents of Flint were forced to deal with mismanagement, negligence, and sheer ineptitude in an effort to save money. One of the first studies to be released was the study conducted by Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha. In her research, she identified elevated concentrations of lead following blood tests in infants and children, which increased from 2.4% to 4.9% following the change in water sources. In areas where water lead levels were considered high at greater than 15 parts per billion, which is the maximum amount of lead allowed in the water per the Safe Drinking Water Act lead and copper rule. The average proportion of Flint children with elevated blood levels rose from 4% to 10.6%. Data from the Michigan Childhood Lead Poisoning Prevention Program agree an increase occurred, suggesting an increase from 2.2% of children between May 2013 to April 2014 to 3% between May 2014 and April 2015. Concurrently occurring at the same time, Mark Edwards, an expert in water filtration and lead mitigation in drinking water, led a team of researchers from Virginia Tech to conduct a study on the lead exposure in the pipes throughout Flint. Edwards was shocked by the extent of the contamination, but even more so by the inaction of the proper authorities after being made well aware of the contamination. Edwards and his team found that at least a quarter of the Flint households had levels of lead above the federal level of 15 parts per billion, and that in some homes, lead levels were at 13,200 parts per billion. Edwards said it was the injustice of it all and that the very agencies that are paid to protect these residents from lead and water knew or should have known after June at the very, very latest of this year that federal law was not being followed in Flint and that these children and residents were not being protected. Lead poisoning isn't something that you can simply reverse. Once exposed to the dangerous amounts that the residents had been exposed to, damage and illnesses didn't take long to set in. In reality, there is no safe amount of lead that a human can be exposed to. Any amount, no matter how small, can cause cognitive harm over a long period of time. Low levels of lead exposure usually have no obvious or immediate symptoms, which means it can go undetected. But, over time, even low levels of lead in blood can have profound effects on the brain and nervous system. Lower intelligence, difficulty in paying attention, and with fine motor skills and lower academic achievement have all been connected to elevated lead levels. Some studies have also linked lead exposure to violent behavior and higher crime rates that can span at least two generations. Currently, the only way to prevent further damage following exposure is to consume a diet that is rich in calcium, iron, and vitamin C. Therapies do exist, such as chelation, and will bind with lead and force it to be excreted through urine. However, this does not reverse the effects that have already been done. I stated briefly earlier that in 2014, an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease had previously been identified but not announced to the public. Legionnaire's disease is a particularly nasty and severe form of pneumonia caused by the Legionnaire bacterium.
This bacterium is found naturally in fresh water and is spread by breathing in the mist that contains the bacteria. Transmission does not typically occur from person to person, and if treatment via antibiotic is initiated quickly, prognosis remains very good. Currently, there is no vaccine available. Prevention depends on good maintenance of water systems. Treatment of Legionnaire's disease is with antibiotics, and recommended agents include fluoroquinolones, azithromycin, or doxycycline. Hospitalization is often required. The fatality rate is around 10% for healthy persons and 25% for those with underlying conditions. The outbreak identified in Flint went unannounced, and those who became ill simply were forced to suffer. Once again, we see yet another attempt to cover up the fact that the government in Flint had no idea how to react and would rather let the residents suffer. The Flint Journal obtained documents via the Michigan Freedom of Information Act on the Legionnaires outbreak and published an article on them on January 16, 2016. The documents indicated that on October 17, 2014, employees of the Genesee County Health Department and the Flint Water Treatment Plant met to discuss the county's concerns regarding the increase in Legionella cases and possible association with the municipal water system. By early October 2014, officials at MDEC were aware of a possible link between the water in Flint and the Legionnaires' outbreak, but the public was never informed, and the agency gave assurances about water safety in public statements and at public forums. An internal email on January 27, 2015 from a supervisor at the health department said that the Flint water treatment plant had not responded in months to multiple written and verbal requests for information. The outbreak would ultimately kill 14 and infect 80. In my opinion, I don't think enough legally has been done to bring those in charge to justice. Criminal proceedings resulted in a dismissal from nearly all charges for all involved. As recent as January 2021, new criminal charges were brought against former Governor Rick Snyder and other officials. That's it. The hands of justice have once again brought those responsible to the forefront and have been handed down a lengthy sentence deserving of the sheer negligence these officials burdened the residents of Flint, Michigan with. I don't know if you caught it, but did you sense the sarcasm there? As of March 2022, the current case against ex-governor Rick Snyder is currently ongoing. Stay tuned on my Twitter and Instagram for updates on the latest for this. The Flint water crisis is a prime example of what happens when a government attempts to cut corners and cover up their mistakes. Only those downstream suffer the effects. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it five stars and share it throughout your community. Also, if you haven't yet, please follow me on Instagram at Destination Period Disaster and on Twitter at Dest Disaster. That is D-E-S-T-D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R. If you have any disasters that you would like for me to cover, feel free to DM me and I'll definitely consider it. Until next time, this has been Destination Disaster. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 